0: What's up, y'all? Today, we're going to talk about the first step to success in any area begins with the right mindset. Wealth is as much about the mindset as it is about the money. Today, we're going to be talking about the mindset of the people who've accumulated significant wealth. From what we've seen, building a wealth mindset is about cultivating a positive relationship with money, and these individuals tend to share certain traits, certain patterns of thinking and behaving, and we're going to dive into some of that today. Of course, I have my wonderful co-host with me today, Ms. Julia Lachey and hey. Mr. Uncle Emmerich. How are you guys doing today?
1: Doing real good, Daniel.
0: Great. Living the dream. Living the dream. Excellent. So I want to start this out by just, just talking about with the two of you guys, what are some common characteristics of the mindset of the wealthy um, that are different from the average person? What do they think about different? Like, what, How do they process different?
1: Uh, I'll start. You know, I, I think you say, what do they think about? Well, money, right? The, my, the mindset of the wealthy are thinking about money. And uh, generally along a long-term strategy, um, for example, I know that uh, we all use a net worth tracker. And so when I'm thinking about what I'm spending my money on, when I'm thinking about, uh, you know, what investments or purchases I'm going to buy, even if it's just a purchase at Express, or I'm buying you know, some clothes, I think of the impact, the long-term impact that would have on my net worth. Um, and I would imagine that uh, people who have a, a wealth mindset or the mindset of the wealthy are strategically thinking long-term, even about the short-term tasks that they're doing on a daily basis.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think to, to kind of piggyback on that long-term vision, I feel like there's always a five or 10-year plan that's being put in place. They're constantly thinking about their net worth and how this investment or how this cash flow is going to change the trajectory of where they want to go. And I know for me, it was difficult for me when I was younger to really understand outside of, you know, six months, 12 months and the decisions we made and how that looks that long term vision. Emmerich, what are your thoughts on that?
2: Well, you know, here's one thing that I, that I learned because I come um, I come from a different place and. Wealthy people visit their money on a regular basis. They understand where their money is. They understand uh, the wealth tracker. They understand uh, what's coming into and going out of their accounts. And I believe that's a big difference because when you visit your money on a regular basis, you know where it is. When you don't visit your money on a regular basis, you don't know where it is. So you can't track anything. And that's just huge right there. The whole idea of visiting your money every day.
0: Yeah, I love that. I think we, we always hear that, that, that term where you have money burning a hole in your pocket, right? Got to spend <laughs> it, got to get it out. Mm-hmm. I love that term, visiting it on a, on a regular basis. Now, Emmerich, how do you see like cultural or societal factors impacting the mindset um, of wealth building? Well, here's
2: the, well, here's the deal, right? Cultural, cultural impact, the reality is that when you don't have money, you don't have anything to track. When you live in paycheck to paycheck, day to day, what are you really tracking? Just like you said, money burns a hole in your pocket. Money in, money out. And then we become the, the com- conspicuous consumer because when we don't have that relationship with our money, we're so excited to get money, then that means we're excited to spend money.
1: And you're saying that comes from, from society or does that come from somebody's environment?
2: D say, all it's of the same thing. D, yeah. all of the above. Yeah, okay. okay. <laughs> D yeah. All, it, can, it can be societal. It can be a culture. I am speaking from my perspective where it's more of a societal conversation. And the reason why I say societal because I'm, I'm thinking of it in terms of the environment that I grew up in and the, the environment and the people around me. That was their thought when as I was growing up is that, you know, you you get money and you spend money. The only reason why you have money is to spend money. And the whole idea of saving was, was a novel idea. Now, that was the people that were around me. Now, to be clear, that wasn't my mother's idea. That was the people around me idea. And again, we judge our insides by other people's outsides. And particularly when you're young, you see things on the outside that you believe that when you get money, you should have those things. Because you want to be in and you grow up that way and it just gets ingrained in you until you learn differently and you change the people around you. When you change the people around you, that's when it becomes more of not a ethnic cultural change. However, a cultural change in the idea and mindset of the people
0: around you, the culture of the people around you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think one of the one of the things about mindset and about getting the nice things or getting the things, it's not an it's not an either or uh, my coach and mentor told me early on, he was like, Daniel, we can go have all the nice things. We can go drive the really nice car, mm-hmm. but let's first focus on putting that money in an investment and then the cash flow that we get from the investment, we then go buy the nice things.
1: Let's not first
0: spend the money on the nice things. See, but that's
1: not what's been, when you talk about societal factors, that's not what people in, in generally in our culture are seeing or having that conversation. All they see is you showing up with the nice things. Right. And they don't know about the conversations about the investment that took place prior to you having the nice things. I was just. I was thinking about media when you asked this question and uh, as social media, especially, right. And the impact social media is having on people. It used to be the haves and the have nots and the keeping up with the Joneses, but the Joneses had to at least be somebody that were in your neighborhood that you saw. <laughs> now you see right. people all across the globe having stuff and the societal effect that that has on people's ability to build wealth. Cause going back to your first question, one of the common characteristics is discipline, Right. Uh, And being able to be disciplined with your money and not just go and buy the nice things before you've made any investments. Uh, So I I for sure social media and you talked about the people around you, um, uh, Emrick. Nowadays, they don't have to be literally your peers that are around you. These are just people you see on the Internet. This is, you know, these are influencers or uh, people. You don't even know these people and you're trying to keep up with it. We don't even know the Joneses anymore. We have no idea where they even live, but <laughs> you're still trying to keep up with them. So I think for sure now different than how it used to be is people. Uh, the societal factor is, is social media.
2: Right. And it, it comes back to that whole concept. We judge our insides by other people's mm-hmm. outside. And that whole thing, Daniel, about the, the saving money and, yeah, so idea of saving money and doing all those other things, and I heard this, I'm not sure where I heard it, I've said it like four or five times, so now it's my saying, you do the things today that other people aren't willing to do, so you can do the things tomorrow that other people can't do, and that's a concept that we just did not, I mean, it just, most people don't learn that, they want to do everything today, particularly in the immediate gratification society, they want to do everything today.
1: Now, I used to hear that saying, Emmerich, but it wasn't in relationship to money. My parents used to say it about getting my homework done because I wasn't going to be able to go outside and play until (laughs) (laughs) I got to do the things I, you know, whatever the saying was you just said, that was in relation to homework, not in relation to money. (laughs) Okay.
0: Well, I think too, like the the social media puts a lot of pressure on us to keep up with the Joneses or our friends or our friends' friends, the people that we're connected with and try to do the things they're doing or, or look good online rather than making sure that our financial house is, is in order. Now, I think it's hard for some people to conceptualize how, okay, well, I don't know what I can invest in that's going to create cash flow. So my rule of thumb when I first started with with a lot of this was, was my rule of three. If I could afford three of them, then I would, I'm okay to buy one of them. If I can only afford one of them, then I got to I gotta get more money before I can go make that purchase. Because if we have what we call reserves or, or extra money in the bank, and that three or $400, $5,000 purchase is not going to hurt you. And you're still going to have a lot of money in the bank. Our mindset is about running that account down to zero.
1: That's interesting. Uh, I've never heard that rule of three. I used to say, if I can't pay cash, I can't afford it because um, I'm not going to put uh, uh, a bag on a credit card, right? I'm not going to put, you know, but if I, if I can't pay cash, I can't afford it. And so I just, I just didn't have a whole lot of stuff.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know what, that's, and that's another lesson, right, Julie? You, you say that, and I'm, I'm only saying this because you brought it up. I'm not picking on women. You put a bag on a credit card or whatever you put on a credit card. It costs $1,000. By the time you get finished paying off the credit card, it costs you $2,000, So why do it? And and again, it's the instant gratification.
1: It's that, that, you know, not being able to be disciplined enough to wait, that long-term goal setting that we were just talking about.
0: Yeah. And I think having that long-term vision and long-term goal makes these decisions a whole lot easier. If we're tracking, I always say what you measure, you move. And if we're measuring how much money we have or don't have for that matter and compare that to where we want to go, it makes a lot of these decisions a lot easier for us with not putting that money, not buying that bag, not putting it on the credit card and getting back to that self-discipline piece. Now, Julie, a lot of people are afraid to take risks, though, Um, so they won't pursue their dreams or certain opportunities. How do people with a wealth mindset manage that risk-taking, and what kind of role does that play in their success?
1: You know, in order to build wealth, there's going to be some level of risk involved. You have to determine what level of risk you're comfortable with um, and get past uh, you know the fact that there if you if you plan to build wealth long term there's going to be some risk involved in doing that now to what level i am not a gambler okay i remember i'll never forget i went to the casino with my friends momo and uh on my 18th birthday and we played bingo i paid $20 for that bingo card and i lost and i never gambled again in my life i'm not, i just can't give you money that just doesn't go anywhere and i and and i literally had that mindset ever since I was 18 years old, because I was really upset about that $20 bingo card. And I never, and I felt like investing, the investing you're talking about was too big of a risk for me. Um, but if you really are thinking about building wealth, uh, you're going to have to take some risks and I've taken some L's, definitely. And sometimes I win and sometimes I learn, you know? And uh, I've had I've had partnerships that went left, um, good learning experiences. Um, I've had investments that I've made where uh, somebody ran off with whatever the you know the the thing was, or it didn't work out. Okay, uh, so there's some level of risk that's going to have to happen in order for you to see a return or to have an opportunity. But how comfortable you are with that is 100% an individual thing. Because I know some people put a lot of money in the stock market and they diversify very differently. Um, I'm not into that because. Like I said, I lost $20 of bingo and that set my foundation for life. I'm good on the risk taking. But there's absolutely no way that you can just put your money in a savings account and be like, this is a safe spot and think that you're going to build wealth with a 3% or a 4% interest rate. If and that's good. If you found a 3 or 4% interest rate, right, <laughs> that's that's really good. And but there's just not gonna you can't just put it under the pillow and feel like this is safe. This is going to grow. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way. So people who really have a wealth mindset understand that there is some long-term risk involved. There's risk involved with building long-term. And again, because you're thinking long-term, a short-term loss probably isn't going to hurt as bad.
2: You know, you go ahead, Emory. Yeah, I, I believe that we have to shift, have a language shift and not talk about risk. Right. What should we call it? I, I, so we have to talk about the uh, the cal the calc- the just the calculated possibilities of what could happen. Don't we? We have to use it because it, whenever you say risk, risk automatically assumes a negative connotation. Because whenever you say risk, it, it takes you to a a not so positive place. You don't have a you know the vibration of the word risk is low.
0: For and some so people, I, I look at risk, and that actually gets me excited. Okay. I enjoy Opposite of Julia, I'm the gambler. Okay. I will gamble on <laughs> as many things as we possibly can gamble on. And, so and that's, we'll over under how long this episode is going to be, and we'll put some money on the side on that. Like that. So I think like risk can also empower people to want to be able to create, um, to create more and and have that risk and have. I think some people are adverse to risk, and I respect that. And I think some people get. Invigorated with risk.
1: And I would venture to say that Daniel probably feels that way because he's taken a lot of risks and they've worked out well. Right. And so, but if you never, if you never do it, also you never have that experience. I posted on Instagram, uh, I think last week it says take the risk or lose the opportunity. You know, uh, so you can't just sit still like a sitting duck because you're scared to move, you don't know what's happening or you're gonna lose. You have to move, right? Like you have to make a play. There was a panel that somebody was talking about purchasing. It was a, a investment, real estate investment panel. And somebody asked one of the guys what his biggest regret was. And he said, all the properties I didn't buy. And I thought that was deep. That was deep to me because um, I'm overly cautious about, about those types of investments. And so I don't move at all. But by not moving at all, I've gotten absolutely nowhere. And, and here Daniel is you know, taking all the risks and reaping all the rewards. Cause I, you
0: know. <laughs> Well, I think, I think, I think the piece of that though, Julia, a lot of people that I've seen that I've been around that are high achievers truly believe like their mindset is I'm either going to win or I'm going to learn. There yeah. is no losses. And so if you have that kind of mindset around, no matter how bad a situation is, there's something to take from it that we can learn. Where now we're not having that victim language about I lost. One of the best things I do is I go to Vegas and I blow money. And every time I come back and I lose my tail between my legs, I come back and work a little bit harder every week. We come back like, all right, guys, we got to increase conversion. Hey, what's happening with that pre-approval over there? We got that listing going live. We probably need to drop the price. Like, it it invigorates me. Daniel
1: sounds like a rap song. Go ahead. (laughs)
0: You you know what, Dan? And there's also that
2: thing called the calculated risk. Yes. Where we just have to understand that a risk is only a risk if you haven't done your homework.
1: That's right. It, you know what? You're right, Emrick. People use risk as a strategy. And I think that's kind of what Daniel's saying is um, risk taking is a strategy. Now, if you have no strategy, like you're saying, Emrick, if you are just randomly just doing stuff, that's dangerous, but a calculated risk. And that's yeah. dangerous.
0: That's reckless. Yes.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> now, those are some those are some really, really good points. And I mean, I think a lot of the mindset of the wealthy is about abundance. I mean, Emrick, what do you, like, how does abundant mindset play in the role of financial success? Like, how do you, how do you have an abundant mindset versus a scarcity mindset? Uh,
2: you know, when you have that, when you're talking about abundance versus scarcity, um, when you think small, you have small. When you think big, you have the possibility to grow big. And what I mean when I say that, you know, so many times when you, you we spoke about, uh, being learning based or a lifelong learner, the more you learn, the more you understand what's available to you from an abundance perspective, and the less you learn, you're always operating from a limited perspective. and so when you're in that limited perspective, scarcity you're so busy trying to keep what you have and I'm going back to uh, I'm going back to my my childhood I'm going back to my West Baltimore days. We didn't have very much. And so since we didn't have very much, our thought was that we have to keep everything that we have. And if we keep everything that we have, we'll be able to do everything that we're required to do. Mm -hmm. Now, on the flip side when you think of abundance and you say, I'm gonna open up and I'm gonna have the ability to use everything that I have for a multitude of reasons or ways then I have the ability to receive a multitude of avenues or I have the ability to pursue a multitude of avenues and the things that I do. And when we talk about scarcity versus abundance, it also comes back into that whole risk conversation. When you're risk adverse, you're thinking from scarcity. When you're looking at a calculated risk, then you're more apt to go to an abundance frame of mind because you understand that there's more there for you and based on your homework you have the ability to get more because you
0: understand more does that make sense it makes sense but let's go let's go all the way down to square 1 okay right how do you how do you create that 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 mindset of abundance like how do you think that if you only if you're trying to hang on to everything that you have right how do you train yourself to think about all the things that you can also have it's about learn it's about
2: it's about being learning based. When you understand the world is bigger and life is bigger than what's in front of you, then you understand that there are more opportunities that you can take advantage of that are in front of you. And
1: you know you- what this reminds me of? Um the, the scarcity and abundance conversation. It reminds me I had a client, uh she wasn't really a client, it was just a lady I had met and she wanted to buy a house. Um but but and, and this actually applies to so many people where she was receiving Government assistance, and she wanted to do more. She wanted to get a different job. She wanted to have some additional revenue. But if she gets the additional revenue, well, then they cut off the services. So, you know, and she needed those little bit of services. So she would never take the step to do the job she really wanted to do that might work out. Because if she made a little bit too much money, but not enough money, right, then she wasn't going to be, she wasn't going to get the little bit that she was getting. And I've seen so many people be caught in that revolving door of, I need to hold on to this little bit. They'll take my little if I strive for more.
2: Well, you know what, Julie, that's the same thing with an employee mentality. I've heard people say, I don't want to work overtime because they're going to take out more taxes. Well, the only reason they can take out more taxes is because you're making more money. So rather, if they take when you when you have a, you make a dollar and hypothetically speaking, they're going to take 30 cents. So you want you don't want to make 70 cents because you are going to, have to pay them. You don't want to make 30. You don't want to make the extra dollar because you have to pay them 30 cents, which ultimately means you're going to make 70 cents more than you would have had had you not worked. And that, that's that's that bond it, But that it keeps in.
1: people it keeps people you know pinned down. It's really what you. I mean, I even I remember when I was a broker at a real estate company, and the owner of the company um, came and gave me a thousand dollar bonus on my check, and I went and said, "You got to take the thousand dollars off the check because I got to submit my check stubs to daycare services, and they're gonna cut off my daycare." if if I made $1,000 too much because I'm already at the line, right? So, and he started paying me my bonus in cash because, and I and that was really my mindset was, I can't make $1,000 more. This is going to be, you know, they're going to take, it was a scarcity mindset, they're going to take the daycare rather than, in fact, if I do even better, you'll give me more than a $1,000 bonus and I have an opportunity to build a lot more money, you know, but it, it's very difficult when, like you said, we got to make it off this little amount we have. And it goes back to the risk taking. Now you're asking me to take a calculated risk that I'll make enough to be able to sustain my own self, right? It's a it's a, just a vicious circle that people go in. and it does require Daniel's first question, which was, how comfortable are you with risk? Are you going to be you know? But in order to get out of the cycle, you have to have some risk taking.
2: Well, the, and again, societally and culturally, a lot of times we've been trained to be risk averse, and that that creates a situation where you become a perpetual employee that locks you into that that employee mindset pretty much for the rest of your life
1: or on welfare you're perpetually yeah. on welfare because the same reason I just said I don't want them to take my daycare assistance so I don't yeah. want to make any more money
2: you know they, and if they gave you if he'd giving you that extra $1000 and let's say he gave you that extra $1000 5 times a year that was an extra $5000 the daycare supplement was only 2500 so if you just you could have taken a five thousand dollars page of twenty five hundred and twenty five hundred dollars
1: that sounds risky, and I wasn't thinking that far, right? <laughs> right. I think, <laughs> I, think what we're
0: miss, I think what we're missing in this conversation uh-huh. too, though, is, is having mentors and coaches and people around us that can show us and help us understand another way of looking at slicing the pie, right? Like that—that that ambition comes from your circle of people we're surrounding ourselves with. How much are we leaning into each other and teaching each other? I mean, if you had somebody, Julia saying exactly what Emmerich just said, that may have been a completely different mind shift for you to have your 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 wealth creation happen so much faster and so much sooner because we're looking at things through a different perspective.
1: Yeah, definitely. And again, I'm glad that's why we're having these conversations with our community because I didn't have that. Like a lot of people don't have that. Uh, and I didn't even have a... That podcast. weren't a thing way back then, right? So I didn't even have a podcast to tune on to, to listen to a Daniel or Emmerich tell me and do the math and say that don't make sense. You know, <laughs>
2: You are the sum total. What is it? Your five closest friends are your real wealth determinants because your your five closest friends, whatever your wealth level is or your aspiring wealth level is, just take a look at your five closest friends, and you're going to be real close to where they are. And that's what you're saying, Daniel, about the mentors. You know, you bring these people into your life. You change. You change the people you're around. You change the culture of the thought of the people around you, and and the magic happens. And again, that comes back to being learning base
0: so when I think when you think about your circle, I always say who's who's who in your life is fanning your flame? if you're trying to go do great things and your spouse is pulling you back saying we can't do it or they are incredibly risk averse and you're trying to take over the world, that may not work. If your friends are telling you why your your ambition on trying to go get licensed or start a trade or do something else and invest and they're telling you why you're stupid and it doesn't work. We gotta start working on new, like who's fanning your flame and who is your biggest fan? Not yes, men, but who is telling you, I'm on your team, let's go get it, Hel- help each other continue to grow and achieve.
1: You know, there's More. a saying that says if the people in your circle aren't encouraging you and promoting you to grow, it's not a circle, it's a cage. It's a cage. And so yeah, you don't want to be in a in a cage with these five people you don't that don't have a growth mindset like you do.
2: Well, you know? I mean think. You yeah, what I'm trying to say with that, Julia, and and I've heard a friend of mine say this, sometimes you have to bless and release people. And it's not to say that, you know, you don't love them, you don't care for them. Sometimes you have to bless and release people from certain places in your life. And sometimes it's your family. And that's not to say you don't love them. You just have to love them a different way in a different space. They can't be in your financial world at this well, I time.
0: Think that, I think people come and go As 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 I've grown on this journey. People come and go and people come into your life for a season or a couple of seasons, or five, 10, 20 seasons, and then somehow that season just ends. I don't know why. I don't hate you. You don't hate me, but I always say we're either going to grow together or we're going to be growing apart. And I think that's friendships, relationships, family. Just because we share the same blood does not mean that I have to do all of the things or keep you close to me. And I think that that mindset of getting into to goal setting, like, Julia, what, what role does goal setting um, play in achieving goals? And like, People's approaches and like creating measurable type of goal setting um, expectations or or ambitions. Like how does that how does that affect all of this?
1: Well, it's it's. I used to when I was coaching agents, I would say uh, that if you don't have a goal or a destination in mind, how do you get there? Right. It's kind of like getting into your car and saying, "Okay, hey Siri, take me there." Take you where? Right. Like you have not identified the destination that you want Siri to take you to. Sorry, my Siri just turned on. She's trying to take me there. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> Where's she taking <laughs> you? Siri <laughs> was trying she was taking me there. Wherever there was But exactly, it was spinning. She doesn't know where she's taking me because I didn't say take me to X. This is my actual goal and having something to uh strive for. And you know, when we talk about goals, we start with what's your long term goal like? your five-year goal from now. For me, um, my goal is when do I actually want to be done working and just do it because I like it, right? Uh, That's my goal. What's that number? What does that look like? And then backtracking. Okay, so what do I have to do in the next two years to make that happen? What do I have to do in the next year to make that happen? What do I have to do today? What should my behavior be like today to reach my goal this month for this year? But if you're not actually setting goals, then you don't have anything... To to guide you, it's a lack of a guide, really. And if you don't have anything telling you what you should be doing, well, then you probably are going to fall into a situation where you're doing a whole lot of things you should not be doing. Um, and and being able to have something to measure, I think, Emrequita, as you said when we started this uh, conversation about um, watching your money, you had some fancy saying. Oh. You know, y'all are full of sound bites. What'd you say? Yeah.
2: <laughs> I said, go visit your money every day.
1: Exactly. Was, your you, money every you day, what every you day. track, right? what you focus on expands. Right. And If you're looking at it every day, you know exactly how much you had, where it went. Uh, but that has to do with goal setting. If you haven't determined what you want your life to look like or what your wealth building strategy is, or you have no goal, uh, you're just kind of out there wandering. And that's not how you build wealth. You build wealth from actually having a set goal, and doing the activities that it takes to get there and tracking those activities on a daily basis, like Emrick so, is saying. So I
2: have a question. I have a question then, right? We set a goal, right? And then we make a plan to accomplish that goal. So at that point, when you set a goal, you have a plan to achieve that goal, is it still a goal or does it become an expectation?
0: That's a good question. I think, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't, I don't like the word expectation personally, because I think, I think the um, the root of all disappointment comes from a lot comes from expectations, right? And so I don't want, I don't want listeners to to beat themselves up because they created that expectation and they didn't get there. I think listeners, like, it, it's about setting a goal. It can be saving thirty dollars this month. It doesn't matter what the goal is. It doesn't have to be big, hairy, and audacious. It can be the smallest thing because if we continue to achieve and, and get our goals day over day, week over week, month over month, the compound effect of that over time is absolutely life changing.
1: So, yeah, I think you know, that- Gary Keller says people underestimate what overestimate what they can do in one year and underestimate what they can do in five. Yeah. Um, it, and so that's why it's important because you might think, oh, I know, like, I think I shared with y'all before I was like, oh, OK. Net a million all right, here's how I'm gonna do it in a year, and it's like, yeah, it don't really work like that exactly, depending on where you start, you know yeah. you have to have a long term goal, and then, like you said, Emrick, I don't just have the goal, I have a plan of how to get there, but on a daily basis, then I know what I should be doing in order to help me get towards that goal because I have the plan
2: well julia we we right on point today because my Facebook posts I actually use that uh we can accomplish more, and we, we we overestimate what we can do in a year and underestimate what we can do in five years. I did say that. And coming back to that conversation about expectation, I I said that because I was in a session with a gentleman and he said that. So let me just read this thing. Let me just read expectation. A strong belief that something will happen or be the case in the future. And, and now and so... When you talk about and words have i'm a firm believer in words have power so in that word of expectation if you set the plan and you set the objective it has to be followed by a strong belief so you expect it to happen and that's the reason why when when we had that conversation i was like you daniel i was like you don't set expectations you setting yourself up for disappointment with the expectation and maybe it's just the way that we look at it, and say, "This is my goal, and I have a strong belief that I'm going to accomplish this goal based on my plan. Therefore, I expect to hit that goal."
1: Well, let me ask you all this: You're talking about the the mindset of the wealthy, and so I'm not trying to put y'all on blast, but y'all are some wealthy guys, right? So, uh, when you talk, when you goal set, because you you both own franchises, right? And so when you goal set for your businesses, your actual real estate franchises that you own, um, how do you think long-term in those types of, of investments? Because that's obviously an investment, right? Uh, so how do you all think? We're talking about how do the wealthy think. How do you all think about goal setting? And what's your mindset around that?
2: Well, if you, if you ask me, when I, I, I look to set a goal, that I'm reasonably sure I can accomplish. Once I set that goal of what I believe is reasonably acceptable, then we set a plan around it. I expect it to happen because I'm measuring it on a regular basis. I'm measuring, I'm, I'm tracking it as I go along. Now, if something changes, then I understand that I have to change my course of action in order to get there because the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. And so with that in mind, um, that goal has a plan behind it, It has actionable items. And the question is, how committed are you to the actionable items to accomplish that goal?
0: Now, you know, I think we're going to have to have a whole nother episode just built only around goal setting. And understanding how do we chunk it down? How do we how do we think big, but then focus on the day-to-day type of goal to achieve the big long-term goal? For me, myself, I, I love goal setting. Goal setting is like my, that's my jam. That's my, I, like I was going to
1: start by saying that when you asked about goals and I was about to say, that's my jam. That's my jam.
0: <laughs> I love dreaming. I love thinking about all the things that we can achieve and the life that we can live and being a servant leader and all the people that I can impact on the journey of achieving more. But for me, goals are really, I focus on the habits that need to get done to achieve those goals. So I'm looking at how do we put the parameters inside of the goal that almost like guardrail. Think about bumper lanes when you're playing, when you're bowling. That way, I cannot fail. If I just go ahead and do these things, I cannot fail. I I will just naturally reach my goal. So, an example of that in our business, we focus a lot on leads in and appointments met and pre-approvals. If we do those things that are really, really, really high level, we're not. We're going to have the closings that we need to make the money that everybody desires. But we don't focus on the closing. So I'm big on the habit piece. Who do I need to become? What habits do I need to let go of? What habits do I need to now lean into more to be able to keep on track, to be able to achieve that thing? Because we can dream, we can goal set, but unless you're willing to, to sacrifice and do some of the things that the others aren't willing to do... It's just it's kind of just just a wish.
2: Right. And and that's the whole thing about actionable, about being
0: actionable. When you set
2: that goal, what are the what what is actionable about your change in mindset, your change in activity, your change in in commitment to make those things happen at the level in which you desire? Because you can't go into it half hearted. If it's the goal, you got to go all in.
1: So, 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 what I have heard you all say, because I asked you specifically as uh, as wealthy black men, um, I asked you specifically about the mindset, your mindset of the wealthy is. I've heard you both say that the characteristics of having a, a wealthy mindset is being goal oriented and being learning based, and who you're surrounding yourself with, and and Emrick says don't compare. People's insides to the outsides and understanding that risk taking is a strategy, right? And you are either maybe less risk averse like me, right? Because you lost $20 at the at the bingo, or you're like Daniel, who's like, let's go to Vegas this weekend. Um, you understand the strategy and you have uh and and you have goals though that you've set, and you have more importantly, you're disciplined, it sounds like, around actually what you do on a daily basis to reach those goals. And I know that because we started this podcast late this morning because Daniel needs to go to the gym every morning, right? Like <laughs> Daniel is disciplined exactly. <laughs> about the gym because I assume and I imagine you probably have some goals around that, right? So, so I, that's what I heard you all say is that, did I summarize your wealthy mindset correctly?
2: Well, that you, you did. And that whole thing about being risk averse, let me make this perfectly clear. I have not always been risk averse, Right. I mean I have been risk adverse for a long time <clears throat> and there's I'm still in therapy on being risk adverse. Uh, when it comes to things that I have minimal minimal control over, I become more risk adverse. And what I say but what I mean when I say that is that when it comes to things that I can't really truly calculate the loss for me, uh, I have a tendency to withdraw. And so, therefore, and I'll I'll be perfectly I'm being transparent. I have underachieved in a lot of places because of not willing to be uh, of being risk averse and not willing to just open myself up for exposure to a lot of things. I, I believe that's like human error, and maybe I'm just putting a lot of extra pressure on myself around some things. However, I recognize that, and I'm I call myself I'm in therapy to. Get past that point because there's a different level of wealth that I probably could have achieved had I not had that. I'm gonna call it a limiting belief or a limiting mindset. That's, and it comes back to a previous conversation that was ingrained in me at an earlier age that I just have not been able to shake yet. Does that make sense?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah,
2: definitely. I just haven't <laughs> been able to shake it yet.
0: As we wrap up this episode, you guys, like, like what advice do you have for individuals that aspire to achieve? financial success and, and developing a, a wealthy mindset, what steps can they take? What are some of the things that they should be doing to be able to go on that journey of of really changing your being and changing changing the trajectory of your life?
1: I like what you all have been saying about the, the people in your circle, not in your cage, in your circle and finding mentors or people that you can um, learn from and that are guiding you to help you make better choices or even just watching people how they demonstrate, you know, what they think about money. It might not be somebody in your household. It might be somebody that you find on a podcast or that, you know, we have. That is one of the novelties or luxuries that we do have in this era, Emrick, is being able to learn from people who you don't even know. Turn on the Internet and find somebody you like to listen to um, who's talking about how to have a wealth wealthy mindset um, and learning from those people. If you don't have any people in your immediate circle, get in those circles where people are having those conversations. Sometimes they'll be over your head. Uh, for me, a lot of times these conversations are over my head, but I still go in the room. We believe. People grow into the conversations around you. Eventually, I'll catch on, right? So getting in those spaces where people are having these conversations, where they have a different mindset than maybe people around you or in your environment or in your neighborhood have, and uh, learn from those people. And again, maybe they're just somebody you follow on social media that is talking about wealth building. Um, That's for sure just one way to get started with the conversation.
2: You know, and and with that, Julia, my biggest thought in I believe as a basic fundamental, rich dad, poor dad.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: If you don't, if you want to start your wealth journey, rich dad, poor dad. Get engrossed with that, learn it, master the concepts behind that. That's the catapult to help you understand that this world is bigger than you, that you have quite a few limiting beliefs around wealth and finances, and it will inspire you to read more. And dig deeper into the concept
0: of wealth. I'm so glad you said and that. That. That, was, that was the first book I read that got me interested in wanting to, to start growing in real estate. Incredible book. Definitely an incredible first place to start to start checking, um, understanding how big that world is. Yeah. I think that if you go to our website, the thecolorofmoneypodcast.com, you're going to see a ton of resources that we're going to share inside of this community as well on podcasts to listen to, to help change your mindset, to help the limiting beliefs, Um, books that we read, books that we reference. So that way you guys can get things. We're we're creatures of all the things that we've learned over time. And for me personally, one of the first places I started was Tony Robbins. Tony Robbins changed my life. When I understood that my brain was like a supercomputer that I had the ability to hack, game over. What are you telling yourself? What are you listening to? What are you reading? What are you learning? Changed everything about who I am as a man who I am as a father, how I can create this abundant life. So as we wrap this up. Um, well,
1: wait, wait, wait. I want to give a book shout out. Y'all talking about the books that changed your life. You went I got first. A book. I didn't talk about a book though. Well,
0: we're, we're, conclu- yeah. we're concluding. <laughs>
1: Let me conclude <laughs> with a book. I want to say that uh, the book that taught me financial and wealth basics was actually the Bible. The Bible is full of principles of how to handle money. Uh, and scriptures of how to handle money uh, and paying your debts off and, and paying, pay Caesar what you owe Caesar and pay, you know, and so I learned fundamentals of money from the Bible. I wanted to say that, Daniel.
0: Yes, ma'am. I'm glad you did. <laughs> ma'am. I'm glad you did. Now, as we wrap this up, we, we really wanted to lean into the mindset before we start talking about the fundamentals on what to do, because if the mindset is not there, the, the things you keep telling yourself is you can't do, then nothing else that we're going to talk about over the next several weeks are even going to make sense to you. So I'm really glad that we started with this. We shared a lot of really good information. I think that overall, a wealth mindset involves a mindset of abundance, a willingness to learn and continue to grow, and a commitment of taking action towards achieving financial success. I appreciate you guys on this episode today. We shared a lot of really, really good things. Thank you guys for being on today and sharing so much knowledge and expertise. I appreciate it.
1: All right. Check it next
0: week. See you next week.
1: Color of Money podcast today and get notified when new episodes are released weekly.
0: Be part of this transformative listening experience.